Human beings have been sharing stories for hundreds of thousands of years. And with those stories came the emotional, spiritual, and physical knowledge of the ancients. Shaman Durek, a sixth generation shaman and best selling author of Spirit Hacking, bridges the gap between science and spirituality and brings us back to our roots. He's here to bring forth the ancient wisdom of our elders, to help heal and bring happiness into our modern society. The time has come to end codependency and put the power back into people's hands. Welcome to the tribe. What is the shaman school? No. You're not going to be studying to pursue a career in shamanism or to bang a drum. The definition of shamanism is one who understands relationship. The shaman school offering reminds you how to have a better relationship with things and how to nurture these relationships, whether it be with yourself, the food you eat, the people you meet, your ancestry, community, the global community, animals, nature, and so forth. My goal is to demystify spirituality, to add a bit of science and understanding of how things operate in the energetic planes. The Shaman School's no-nonsense teaching explores all faculties of experience, from the physical, the emotional range, the mental capacity for information, dialogue, lexicon, energy, perception, awareness, how to understand the energy of currency, and so much more. Fundamental education teaches the basics that we need in society, how to read, write, add, subtract, pay our bills, or how to become doctors, artists, mechanics, etc. But the shaman school is a school that we all should have been a part of, one that offers the additional tools needed to better understand who we are, why we think the way we do, what's going on behind the scenes, and what we are actually seeing and processing. Are you living well? Are you paying bills just to keep the roof over your head? Are you in a relationship but not fulfilled? Satisfaction cannot be lowered anymore by the inability to recognize possibility. Living well means fulfilling your ideas and your goals and your dreams and having the best time doing it. In the Shaman School, I have extracted the best from all of the world philosophies, religions, spiritual teachings, and theories, offering a juice without pulp that will empower your life. The Shaman School invites you to a world where you're able to seize the tools of understanding, where you're able to have fun and have more because you deserve more. Go to shamandurek.com and click on the Shaman School for the first step toward ultimate happiness and an understanding of your truest self. Let's make things easier and not harder for our life. We deserve that. See you soon. Hello, tribe. I love you so much. (laughs) Life is so amazing. I just love knowing that you exist. You know, I think that's a, a really important thing in when it comes to love, because a lot of times people think love is, you know, buying people things and doing all of these things. But we do a lot of those things because of the fact that it gives us an acknowledgement of that existence that acknowledgement that someone sees you, acknowledges you. And 
the whole understanding of that existence lies within the realm of thought that we have on this planet, which is, why are we even created, right? Because think about it, when you were a kid, why am I here? What is all of this? What is all of this around me? And what is this world? And how did I get here, right? Because the memories were erased when you came here. So the idea of coming here was a bit foreign when we were children. And the idea of our life existing in the present moment as we are experiencing everything around us as children and then stepping into that space of realizing that there's all of these rules and there's these conditions that are placed upon you about how you are able to live and function and operate in this world. And whatever your parents or your guardians or your authority figures shared with you, it was strange because one part of your being was not understanding why these rules were, where, where did they come from and why am I following and why am I getting in trouble and how come I'm being yelled at, how come I'm being punished, how come I'm being spanked, how come I'm being ignored, why am I getting hurt, why am I being abused, why is these things happening to me? Why are these things happening? How can people do these things to me? Why do they do these things? Why is there war? Why are people fighting with each other? Why is there hate? Why do people not like each other just because of the color of their skin or how they look, what they wear, what they own, what they have? Why are some people measured by what they have and what they don't have? Or if they're male or female, why does sexuality play a role in our ability? Why is it wrong for me to show my body as a little boy to another little boy? Why am I bad because of it? Why am I bad for being naked? Why am I bad for touching myself or, or being with myself or exploring myself, acknowledging myself? Why am I bad? And so we have this experience of why am I bad for existing? Why am I being hurt for existing and being and exploring and discovering and seeking? And so you see, this is where we come into understanding how our lives have been shaped. Our lives are this miraculous, beautiful creation that is so powerful and yet so understated by society and by the world because life is a very precious thing and to have life is a very precious thing and to be able to be alive and conscious is a very sacred thing that I don't think a lot of people acknowledge. Like how many times do we acknowledge waking up and just being very happy about the fact that we're alive? That I can look at my fingers and I can see my fingers. I can see myself. I can experience myself. I can talk to myself. I can get up and have an experience through my eyes and through my ears 
And through my touch of another person or a touch of a pillow or or a blanket or the clothes I'm wearing or what in my own hand, my own warmth of my own hand, I can connect because I exist, because I'm alive. And a lot of people don't acknowledge that. They don't take time to witness that, to bring that to their mind. And again, we go back to that feeling of why? Why isn't everyone in the world waking up every single day and just embracing themselves and smiling and laughing hysterically at the fact that they're alive and that they're conscious of themselves? I think that's the greatest gift ever to be conscious of oneself, to be a conscious being, to be a being that is conscious of itself. How powerful is that? How miraculous is that? People are always asking for phenomena. They're always asking for some kind of spiritual experience. They think they can get it by going out and taking plant medicine or going on some psychedelic trip or going to some sacred spiritual place or meeting with some spiritual leader or taking some amazing uh, workshop where they can walk on fire and rediscover themselves. But you're here right now. In this moment, you're alive. Right now, you're listening to me, you're alive and you're breathing. And how much do you pay attention to that breath or the fact that you can hear or see? And if you can't hear, but you can see, even that's great. It's not about any of those things other than the fact that you exist. You can experience the senses, which are beautiful things, the touch, the smell, the taste, the hear. That in itself is a phenomena that we take for granted. People who eat food, they just scarf their food down. They don't even take time to realize that they can taste something and how it tastes and discover the different nuances and the different elocutions and the highs and lows and the notes that are hidden within each of the different experiences that they're having on their tongue, in their taste buds. Mm. (laughs) Or hearing. And just sitting and listening to all the different sounds that you can hear and the ones that are really distant and the ones that are very faint and very silent, but you can still hear it. And the ones that are very loud and boisterous and the ones that you really want to hear, the ones that are very interesting in the way they sound. Taking time to acknowledge those things. How how many times have you just sat down and set a timer and just... 5, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, just listen to the sounds all around you, no matter what they are, no matter how they sound, and just being in that space of listening. You know, the more you spend time in that space of listening to the sounds, smelling, tasting, seeing, the more you develop your spiritual energies inside of you. You know, because the phenomena that's in those senses, the more you put your attention on them, they expand and grow. Or seeing. How much time do you spend looking and seeing and just staring at things? Sometimes I'll go to a museum and I'll just walk through and just stare. And sometimes I'll just sit on a bench and stare at people. The way they look, the colors, the shapes of their nose, their lips, their eyes, their ears, 
Do they have big waist, small waist? Are they skinny? Are they more? Do they have more voluptuous bodies? What are their? What is the way they walk? The size of their feet? Look at their legs. I look at everything, and not from a place of judgment, from a place of awe, from a place of wow, from a place of oh my god, this is amazing. People watching, sky watching, grass watching, tree watching, animal watching, life watching. Ah. It's so wonderful to witness the existence of things, and how much we do exist in matter. That we're here, that we exist, and regardless of whatever we've been told as far as the rules of the land, or the lay of the land, as I would say, these rules, these ideas that were structured into us from our parents and our guardians and our people who took care of us when we were growing up. When you learn. And remember, because that's the true act of learning, right? Is remembering who you are, why you are, what you are, and what you can do. You begin to realize that that really small box that you were put in as a kid, that tiny itsy bitsy box that you were put in, right, is expanding bigger and bigger if you allow it to where there is no box. Will you actually transcend the very box by removing the labels and the conditions and the ideas and the structures that created you to be in that box, that kept you in that box, because it told you that that's what you have to do, and that of the rules are the way they are here on planet Earth. Them are the rules, they say. Them are the rules. Well, are they, or are they the rules that are created? Because other people chose them to be the rules, and are persuading you to believe that those are the rules, those are the conditions, those are the circumstances. That's the lay of the land. That's how you do it. That's how we do it here. But is it? Is it really? Is it really how we do things, or is it just we do those things because everyone else does those things? Do we do those things because everyone else does those things, and we don't want to be the odd person out, like in Sesame Street? Which, which one is doing their own thing? Me, I am over here. I'm doing something completely different from what everyone else is doing, and that's okay. And please single me out for that purpose because I don't ever want to do what everyone else is doing. I want to be original. I want to be provocative. I want to be unique and different. I want to bring new colors to the coloring crayon set, where I want to design new things that have never been seen or heard of, because I can. Because I understand that the box that I was placed in, I was placed in it because I knew I didn't know better. I didn't know that we have choice, we have free will. And I have the ability to decide if I'm going to be in that box or if I'm not going to be in that box. And the only thing that makes people go in that box is so that they can feel that they exist through love, through acknowledgement, through accolades, through being rewarded, through being told that they're a good person or that they're loved by people. 
which means they still don't accept their existence. They still seek to accept their existence through another person. Another person is telling them they exist by putting them in that box. You exist. Here you go. Take this box. Here you go. You, you like, you're attracted to both sexes. You're, you're considered gay or you're bisexual. Now you have a box where you can be loved. But that's still a part of the matrix. This is what a woman is. Please come inside of this box here. This is the box for women. This is the box for men. This is the box for anyone who, who chooses to do anything like this or this or that. And if you're that color, this is what box you go in. And if you're this color, this is what box you go into. And, 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 and also, if you buy these things more than these people buy these things, you go into this box and that box. And everyone has a box because boxes make you safe and boxes make you secure and boxes make you understood in our world compartmentalization of human of human society is the key element to separation and division the understanding of keeping someone away from another person for they cannot share intellect or differences so that they can build new things when we look at the understanding of a cell you have cell a cell b cell a and cell b come together to create cell c we can't create cell c we can't migrate um, into other spaces without being invited or accepted because we have to look like them and be like them and talk like them and honor their ways that they have created within their structure of their box in order to be accepted because everyone likes boxes and everyone loves labels and those labels and boxes make people feel known people feel that they exist which goes back to our childhood it goes back to the place where we asked ourselves why and who are we and what is this and why is this and what is all of this what does this mean and what do i mean and so we allowed someone to color in our story to draw in our book of life when all these things don't exist at all those things only exist because we exist to make them exist did you ever think about that? When a friend of mine says, I'm a gay man, are you really? Or are you in a box that you've been created to go into? And when I say created to go into, I mean literally, you came to earth, you didn't feel like you exist because of who you are, because other people are different. You didn't accept your existence because you didn't love yourself and acknowledge yourself. So you found people who would acknowledge you and love you for who you are because you couldn't do it yourself. And you went into a box, another form of the matrix trickery to keep you separated, dismissed, and held, and captured. Yeah. You think you're holding on to some righteous idea of freedom some righteous idea of declaring yourself as an individual because now you can claim a name or put some kind of label on yourself. You can call yourself this or that or him or her or this or bi or gay or straight or I'm a woman and I'm a goddess and I'm a this and I'm a that and all of these things. And just more boxes are being created every single day. The more and more we continue to label ourselves and the more and more we compartmentalize ourselves from the greater whole, 
of our family, of our brothers and sisters, matter who you are, what color you are, what sex you choose to subscribe to, whatever it is you choose to be and do, we are all together in this. Boxes or no boxes. Until we as a human species begin to recognize our own existence. If we keep looking for others to make us exist and identifying that as the reason for us being our purpose, our safety, our security, our need to be acknowledged and loved gives us some form of peace of mind. Well, I assure you there is no peace of mind in being put into a box because that box does not clarify your existence. It erases it. You have great power. We all have great power. And the only way we're ever going to see the fifth dimension is when we stop acting like the second dimension or the third dimension. When we start unlabeling ourselves, unboxing ourselves, unpackaging ourselves, and take ourselves out of those limited structures, those cages, those prisons, those cells. When we take ourselves out of the capture, when we remove ourselves from the zoo, and we're able to be comfortable in knowing and seeing and witnessing the truth of being alive, that I exist and I'm conscious of my own existence and I don't need anyone or anything to tell me that for me to see it you can tell me that I exist but until I know I exist and that I am aware and conscious of my existence I will always be a slave to the matrix I will always be in a box that will tell me that if I get in there, I'll be loved and accepted, and then I exist again. When I really am just disappearing, away from everything, away from myself. I love you. I know. I know. You know what I mean. Love you. Hey Tribe, so the Tribe wants to hear from you. And I know a lot of you are talented out there in music and poetry and recipes and ideas and just, you know, things that you want to share with the Tribe. You can send that information to info at shamandurek.com and share your gifts with the Tribe. Love you all and stay lit. Hello, Tribe. We have another Tribe Share by Oscar Linskog called Embrace the Dark. Bang my fist against the wall Now I'm sitting here with a smashed up hand What did I expect from this? I'm a peaceful boy at heart 
Smoking cigarettes at four in the morning Also never helped me all that much Should really listen to the silence Cut out the chatter, embrace the dark Hey Tribe, we're going to take a short break to hear from one of our amazing sponsors, who is Lit Verified. The Lit Verified store is open. But what does Lit Verified mean? Lit Verified is an acknowledgement and stamp of approval by the tribe. I have tried each of these products and they are the best. 
Lit Verified products vary from beauty, technology, clothing, food, health, and wellness, and anything that is ethically sourced, organic, maintained, and sustainable. Not every product offered to the team passes the Lit Verified test. No. Not at all. Every Lit Verified product is carefully researched. Every CEO has been met with. Every ingredient carefully looked into the process production of all of it. I have seen the impact these vendors are making. Their vision and ethics are aligned with our tribe, with people who are consciously supporting community and want to make a difference in our world and make it a better place for us. Lit Verified products are ethically sourced and meet the highest industry standards. When purchasing Lit Verified products, we give back by creating sustainability and by leading the world to make better choices. You can be confident that you're buying into a company that supports a vision for change, not just a company that wants to line their pockets with money. We live in a time where we are oversaturated by commercials, TV, and social media, where far too many celebrities and influencers are endorsing things they know nothing about and things they might be doing damage to people, to the earth, and to animals. With Lit Verified, we've taken that doubt out of the equation. You're not only getting the best, but you're also doing the best. Pick up your awesome Lit Verified items at shamandurek.com and click on the link that takes you to Lit Verified. Love well, tribe. All right, tribe. Time to hear from our special guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. I'm Shaman Durek, and I am super happy that you are on this planet, that you are a lit leader of legacy, and you are part of the Liddy Committee, leaders around the world who are supporting and loving and changing the global atmosphere through the way that we connect, through our conversations, and through our intellect. We are bringing inspiring stories and educating ourselves, which is the reaffirmation of us remembering who we are so that we can create the planet that we all get to live in in harmony with nature, with animals, and with spirit. And I'm so happy that you're on the planet leading your legacy through what you do in life and really connecting to the people in a real way. And speaking of connection, I have an amazing, powerful, amazing brother with me today in studio. His name is Mark Groves. And Mark is a human connection specialist, speaker whose purpose is to help individuals and companies step into their most authentic, effective, loving selves by the way of his bold, no bullshit, which we all love, relationship guidance. He is the creator of Create the Love, seeking to answer the quest, what underlines our connection with ourselves and others, and why do we show up the way we do in our relationships? So I'm super excited and happy and feeling so good about this conversation. Thank you, Mark, for being in studio with us. Welcome. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I got the energy from that intro. I'm like, I'm feeling good too. Yeah. <laughs> we like to keep it lit here. We got we to gotta keep that, that energy going because it's, it's all about, you know, manifesting and connecting and so forth. So I want to go right into it. How did you become an expert in human connection and what inspired you to explore the deeper meanings of that connection? Well, you know, originally my desire to understand human behavior and why we do what we do was really more from a sales perspective. I I actually used to be a pharmaceutical rep. 
And before that, I was uh, I was in sales like a, like a Best Buy kind of place. Very much like 40-year-old virgin kind of setting. And, <laughs> and, uh, Love that movie. I wish I was exaggerating, but it was so much like that. But yeah, in it, I wanted to study, like, I really wanted to figure out how to manipulate behavior for sales. You know, it's like, how do I get someone to do this versus this? How do I get them to choose my product over that one? I had a book that was called How to Get Anyone to Do Anything. You know, I was really into trying to understand that from purely a, yeah, like a sort of a manipulative perspective, but to gain something. And then when I was in my late 20s, I went through a breakup and I remember just thinking to myself, like, why am I so good at talking about everything but my feelings? Like, this isn't a skill set issue. There's something else going on here. And uh, I read uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And that was my first real exploration into the idea of like, why am I here? What is, maybe I am more than just meant to become a provider and, and get a good job and buy a house and take care of a family. And why do I even think that's my role? You know, and it, I think for, which is true for a lot of people, uh, you sort of take your mess and turn it into your message. And I, I think uh, it, what happened is I started to study positive psychology. I started to study all the science of relationships. Um, why do some work? Why do others not? Why do we stay together and hate each other and call that a victory? You know, like it was really, I wanted to understand the thing that is most impactful upon our health is our relationships. And yet it's the thing we're not taught about. We have to learn for ourselves. You know, ideally that's changing. I mean, Google wasn't around when I went through uh, early breakups in my life. But now, you know, there is there are guides to help us understand that. So my desire was for myself personally. And then as I was learning the truth about relationships and, and connection, I realized that no one, I felt like other people weren't telling the truth. I felt like the religion I was raised with didn't tell me the truth. I've, and so I was like, I'm going to start writing about what I'm learning and I'm going to start sharing it. And it started to do really well. And, and, and sort of the rest is history, as they say. I think that's beautiful. I think, you know, it's always this path that, because, you know, a lot of times people don't understand that the understanding of relationships and how we've been taught to have relationships always starts with ourself and how we built that relationship with ourself. And in this world, when you come as a child, you don't come into a world where they teach you how to really honor your truth and hold space for you to be in that truth. So that if you do see your parents doing something that's out of alignment, you can say, Hey mom, Hey dad, you know, you're arguing is creating a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety for me. And just filling up the home with so much darkness, you know, you can't speak your truth. You're not allowed to really observe your truth from the perspective of what it is that you really want to achieve and, and create in life. And so it makes us really good liars. And, you know, we become these liars and shamanism. We always say that, that the, the biggest fall for us as humanity from our, our division and our separation and our wars and all of these things is because we are not honest with ourselves. And so therefore we live in a society that we seek to be validated. We seek to be acknowledged. We seek to, to get some form of accolade to justify who we are, even to the point of killing someone or going to war or taking something over or dominating someone and so forth. So I wanted to hear what are your thoughts about, about that? I think you nailed it. I mean, we live in a world that in general doesn't honor truth. You know, so 
if I haven't observed a politician take responsibility for truth, if I haven't observed religious leaders, culture, uh, government, parents, then when I'm demanded to face the truth, and that could be, you know, something as simple as when I think relationally, for example, so many people in relationship ignore the truth that lives below the connection. Like we have betrayal. I lie. You lie. Uh, we don't. We don't connect anymore. We're just together and. And there's really, we're together for the kids. You know, there's all these things that we pivot around and dance around and whole family systems and cultures and societies dance around these elephants in the room. And eventually, and like, you know, if you think, for example, it could be something like someone who's an alcoholic in the family and no one is pointing it out, but it's completely disruptive to the family. The family oscillates around this. Everyone else's needs get put aside. And then finally someone says, hey, there's the alcoholic or dad's an alcoholic or whatever it is. And the whole family system has to turn towards something that they've been taught and oscillated around to not look at. And so that's why whenever we are personally invited to look towards, I feel disconnected. This job isn't right for me. I want more out of life. Did I settle? Why did I cheat? Why am I settling for someone who gaslights me, et cetera, et cetera we often don't have the capacity for it because we've never observed the capacity for it. I mean, look at what's going on in the world right now. We can't even hold the possibility of two different positions of thought anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm not that we ever really could, but I think because our identities are so attached to our beliefs, which in some way infers that a belief is, is concrete or can't change, but it should change because we learn more, we change. And because our identities are so correlated to our beliefs, anything that threatens our belief, then we think threatens our identity. And, and we'll do anything to protect our identity when our identity is built upon false truths. And, you know, I was writing the other day about if a truth burns a relationship, a family, a culture, or a system down, let it burn because it's been held together by lies. And nothing actually creates the true foundation as truth does. And, you know, I also want to honor that Truth can be subjective, you know, because you and I can have two different experiences of the same thing. And truth as a, as a totality can hold the capacity for both. And relationally, we have to have the capacity for two positions. We have to, because in a relationship, whether it's a friendship or workplace or romantic, we're all going to have, based on our conditioning, our inherited trauma, all the things uh, we're all going to have different interpretations of different moments. And love can hold all of that. And it, and it finds consensus. Love is it has humility, you know? And I, I think that we're on the verge of some form of collapse that will invite us back to humility. And I hope that collapse isn't too painful. Yeah, I agree. You know, in my relationship with my girlfriend... The first, you know, thing that I said to her is I've been in so many dysfunctional relationships. And the reason why it was dysfunctional was because we weren't being honest with each other. And, you know, and I take part in that as well. So I made a decision in my life after those relationships to really step into myself and ask myself, where did I create my own self-betrayal? Where did I create that in the relationship? Why did I show up with that? And why did I think that was actually going to create an amplification of love and the longevity in that relationship? And so 
I made a decision to myself that I am going to live my life in my truth and be truthful as I know it is for me, meaning that I'm going to speak exactly what it is, of course, with love and compassion, but I'm going to let people know, like, you know, this is, this is who I am. This is what it is. This is what you get. I'm not trying to like peacock. I'm not trying to do anything that makes you want to like me when it's not really me. And she got it immediately. And we became friends. I was like, this is what I like to do. So yes, I'm a shaman, but yeah, I like playing video games and I have my VR and I'm a geek, you know, and, uh, you know, and I'm okay with that. And like, you know, and I love escape rooms and I, I, I love having come over and, and put, you know, different things, different conversations and, and, and hats. And we pull out and talk about it over dinner. And, you know, I, I like to open up conversations about everything. I'm a very open person and for her and to even experience that and even to experience the fact that, yeah, I'm attracted to both women and men. And for her to even hear that was like, wow, you really know who you are. And it made her so comfortable being her and like letting herself be seen. And one of the things she said was that because you see yourself so well, you see me so well and vice Mm -hmm. versa. And in our relationship, we have complete transparency, nothing hidden. If I say something to her and she doesn't like it, those are her triggers. She looks at it, we talk about it, but we can come through our different ideas of truth and we don't try to fight over them for power play. We just throw it up in the air and we're like, whatever lands, lands, you know, and it's created such a a beautiful relationship. And the way we do that with the children as well, too, because the children, you know, we want them to feel that in the home and with us, that we also can make corrections, that we're not perfect parents and being able to give them the space to be able to speak what they want to speak and just hold space and listen to them instead of taking the role of I'm the adult, you're the kid, you Mm -hmm. listen to me, which is how I grew up. You know, like don't speak until spoken to. And, you know, how was your day at school? Okay, well, well, you know, we're not really, really interested in that, but we just wanted to say that just to give you some participation, right? (laughs) So uh, my question to you is, how do you wake up people to their truth about relationships um, since we're speaking about relationships? And what do you feel is the missing component to people having really romantic partnerships that are truthful and held in that beautiful space? Yeah, great question. Um, first, I just acknowledge the level of depth and transparency that you create the relationship from because, I mean, when you can show up in that level of, of authenticity, you feel seen and witnessed. And that, you know, because so many of us don't even get to know ourselves and then we enter relationship not actually being ourselves and then we don't feel fully loved and we blame the other person when we have never actually really presented our whole selves. Um, And so, you know, it's like, I want to demonstrate all of me to you. And then do you have the capacity to hold it? Well, I don't know if I have the capacity to hold it, you know? So why would I ever let you within spaces that I haven't explored within myself? You know, that's really beautiful that you stepped into that. I I took the same oath after a relationship ended that I would have every conversation I didn't want to have. I would always live at my highest level of knowledge that as soon as I learned something, I would, I would implement it in my life. I love that about you. That's beautiful. Not a lot of people do that. I mean, even in my friendships, I'm like, every time I take something, I martyr it for myself, you know? And then once I martyr it for myself and I see like what it is, I go right into taking responsibility for it instead of, instead of making it this thing about, I have to make it about the other person. So whenever I have a conflict with someone, 
I know it's never a conflict with them. It's always a conflict with myself. So I'm always going to, what kind of relationship am I having with myself? That's me calling in this person to create this energy that is limiting me from connecting into that space. Yeah, for me, a lot of that, what I recognized in my life was that I would make a choice, experience some pain or lots of pain and then not change and then end up in a similar situation and be like, I still feel unsatisfied, unfulfilled, not in alignment with my values. And I don't know what's happening. Meanwhile, I'm like, no, exactly what's happening. But I'm, and that's, I think, where we pretend to be naive or we pretend to not know because the pain of the unfamiliar is too much. So we continue in this cycle, trying to read books to get us out. And, you know, I think of that quote from Rumi that goes something like, why do you stay in the prison when the door's right there? And I think so many of us do that. Your question about why do relationships sort of offer that, that space in romantic relationships, I think is a magnifying glass to everything we're bad at. And so there's something interesting about romantic relationships in that like, yeah, that's what I focus on, but really all they are is an invitation to exploration of self, you know, much like you can have a, right. You can have a breakdown with food. You can have a breakdown with your body. You can have a breakdown with money. You can have a breakdown with your purpose. The thing is, is that often you can have a breakdown with drugs and that's sort of the one we most know as a rock bottom. But I think anytime that you gain awareness of not being in alignment with your integrity or your values is actually a rock bottom. It's just a micro rock bottom. And you learn to pay attention to those little nuances after you sort of rescued yourself from the extremes. And what I mean by that is when someone goes through a breakup, or is demonstrated that they have the ability to betray because it could be from that side too. They have so much shame. They have so much whatever. There's a willingness when it comes to love often to do the work more than anywhere else because connection does drive us in a way. And of course, our bodies are driven in a way for connection that they're so healing when they're healthy and just like an unhealthy relationship can be incredibly toxic on our bodies. And so... I just saw that, like, for me, that was what woke me up. That was like, ooh, I don't know who I am. Why do I feel like people won't love me? Because I ended a relationship. That doesn't make sense. Like, I, I should still, people should be empowered by it. They should be supporting me. They shouldn't be afraid of it. I shouldn't be some sort of failure. This idea that love ends when a relationship container changes is such bullshit. And it's so Mm. limiting for the human capacity because it says, one, we have no space for endings. We're so afraid of endings. Look how terrified, and and I'm not judging or saying it's not rightfully so for some people, but look how terrified we are of coronavirus, Mm -hmm. you know, and just the amount of fear porn and all that kind of stuff. That's a whole other conversation. But the the part (laughs) that I just want to emphasize is that because we can't can't explore big deaths, we can't explore small D deaths and the death of who was I when I chose that? The death of the old pattern, the death of the survival strategy, the death of all the things that cause us relational dysfunction. And that's why it's always been a beautiful window to me that someone's like, I'm going through a breakup and I'm like, I'm sorry to hear that. And welcome to the rest of your life. Like this can be the moment that you finally choose to step into all of yourself. And what I love about breakups too, which that I know sounds kind of fucked up, but what I love about them is that when you lay a boundary or you're sort of like stepping into your authentic self in that space, people are like, "Mm, they're going through a thing. Like just leave them alone. Let them have their boundary. Let them have their thing. 
And you can just keep being like that. So you can step into this place of power where you're not tolerating shit anymore. You reclaim who you are. You figure out what your values are. You decide what kind of life you want to live and you start creating from there. And that can happen in just between a couple who says, I miss you. You know, that can be the bottom that says, you know, and, and I always love to think of like when one person in a relationship says, I'm going to point out the thing we're not talking about. Both people are invited to freedom. Liberation is, I remember Glennon Doyle said this in her book, Untamed. There's no such thing as one-way liberation. When one person is liberated, the other person is too. They just might not know it yet. And when you're not used to facing the truth or being liberated within your own life and within your own body, to face it then means you have to grieve all of the times before that moment in your life where you did not claim liberation or choice or responsibility. And most of us don't have the capacity to hold the shame and the healthy shame that comes from that of new awareness. New awareness says I could have made these choices for the last, I'm 42. So it would be like, oh, 42 years, I could have done this thing. So I can either go back to what I used to do because I don't have the capacity to hold this, or I can become the capacity. I can stretch. I can become bigger. I can expand. And that's what integrating new wisdom does is it expands us. And you asked also what's missing from relationships to get us to sort of that place of, of long-term connection and, and thriving relationships. Well, I'd say that most relationships don't celebrate sovereignty. So most relationships are at the cost of self. And, totally. <laughs> right? and, and that sort of is true for most systems that humans participate in. Till you're part of a community that is initiated. And what I mean by that is a community of people who are adults. You know, Francis Weller is a psychotherapist and he calls himself a soul activist. He's amazing. And he talks about how we are in, in, we're in an adolescent culture. We don't have initiatory processes as a collective anymore that move us from being children to adults and I mean, look at how we handle different political views, like a couple of children, like teenagers, you know, and, and this shows us like, who's going to, when is the adult going to show up in the room? You know, and I think of that from a relational perspective, like most of us are a couple kids in arguments. We're not adults. Adults say, I see you're in pain. I see what I did hurt you. Let's teach me more about that. Why is that tender for you? How do we repair it? How do we heal mm-hmm. And I say all of this with compassion for the fact that if I was 21 saying that, I did not know this at 21. I had to go through not knowing any of this to get to this place. So I think, you know, to let everyone can change and understand and learn relationship. It's a skill. It's not like for some privileged person. It's a skill that we can all learn and we can all change and we can all develop. And we must, because if we don't, it impacts our health. It impacts our communities. It impacts how we relate to mother nature. I mean, gosh, look at what we do. We step on ants, not even thinking of the impact. Yes, absolutely. You know, I love that you said that about the adolescence, because in shamanism, we have this belief that where we are in today's evolution, that human beings are have not had a rites of passage. They haven't gotten to the place of becoming that, um, what we call that adult that has that awareness of what it means to be in that spiritual space of what we call spiritual intelligence or, um, you know, the, that enlightenment state. It's not the all-encompassing enlightenment, is the enlightenment of recognizing one's position in life as in their own autonomy and then being able to move that into the collective. And so what we see is 
you know, these unactivated people. So like with everything that was happening with the political stuff and everyone's like, Shaman Durek, how come you're not getting upset about the whole George Floyd thing? How come you're not putting posts up about this thing and that thing and that thing? I said, because I have what is called spiritual maturity. <laughs> and, and spiritual maturity. Give me some of that. Give me some you know, of that. Right? It gives me the, a perspective of non-reaction and observing and seeing where it is necessary for me to put my energy that is most in alignment to creating impact and change, not by following the herd, by being a reactive, like a kid gets reacted in school or gets, you know, someone says something to them and they react and get into a fist fight, you know, and, and this type of behavior. And one of the things that I said, you know, and I speak about this a lot in the world is the understanding of that level of spiritual maturity has caused the deficit in our ability to understand human adaptation because human adaptation mm. can't happen when human beings are operating in the same peripheral that they've been operating in for time after time after time Amen. the you know the occurrence of suggestion that comes from movies and television and the way in which they see relationships played out as dramas and constant conflicts and and wars and all of these things and then utilizing that intelligence as an active point that they don't even realize they're doing because they're not even acknowledging that something's completely off with it Right, which notice how that's the exact same thing that occurs in a relationship on a micro level. It's like yeah. acknowledging that something's off. We're so used to accommodating misalignment that when misalignment is present, we have normalized it. Much like in relationship, we can normalize chaos as being connection uh, because we've been, <laughs> right, because we could yeah, be exactly. raised in it. We can, oh we can normalize. God, you're totally in my tribe. Like, <laughs> I can't wait for my girlfriend to meet you. You're amazing. <laughs> well, I can't wait it. to be in a similar city once everything sort of normalizes again. And, you know, I think when, um, I don't work with people individually anymore, but when I work with people collectively in groups, it's so interesting to explore when someone has just normalized missing of red flags because that's what they were raised to miss. And how much do we not call out? You know, I think the Me Too movement has been a great form of accountability, but we haven't called out things like, just like how our leaders are often so not in alignment with what they say they desire or what is true or what they... I mean, I, that part just, it gets me revved up. I got to step into some spiritual maturity because I'll get swept away by the, by the but, movement. But let's think about that. Let's think about the movement for a second. You know, we, shamanism, we call the movement, the great agitators, right? And the great agitators come into society when society is not taking responsibility and holding themselves mm -hmm. accountable for their thoughts, their actions, and their behaviors towards each other and the way in which they build community. So then all of a sudden, these certain figures come in in power positions and also agitate them to rile up and like basically stir the bottom of the pot 
and get all the sediment from underneath so people can start releasing it and bringing it out. Even if it's beautiful or ugly or disgusting or vile, whatever it is, spirit wants it out. So the physical, you know, reactions, the emotional reactions, all of these things that these leaders are doing are direct reflections of what everyone else is doing to themselves internally. Amen to that. I mean, look at the systems of, look, relationally, we haven't really had the space for the feminine, space for the embodiment of the feminine. And, yeah. and look, at, look at our political systems and our capitalistic systems. They are all about exploitation. And, you know, that's why when you heal on an individual level and then with the collective, with your relationship and then your community, it just, as you were saying, you know, sort of reverberates through and that's why we can no longer tolerate this exploitation of mining. This, again, this is not to say that there's not a space to use oil or a space to... It's just that we don't do it with the concern or thought of the impact on the other person. And, and I think that's true relationally. We, we don't really recognize where old patterns are actually toxic and new dynamics. Because look, like you look at the advertising from the 1950s, it is implicitly conditioned and explicitly conditioning women to be of service and men to be dominant. Well, there's a hierarchy that's always inherent in those. And then you don't have connection. A hundred percent. You know, a hundred percent. The I ads think. from the fifties are awful. You know, I mean, they're just things crazy. You're like, How did that shit it's even a woman happen? holding a roast out of the oven. And while <laughs> totally. the man is sitting on the car with his buddy smoking a cigar, <laughs> you know, and always like a white guy, a it's always white people. All the ads are white people. Right. <laughs> holding the tray of lemonade here, honey. It's yeah. the best. <laughs> I remember seeing this one ad that said uh, it was like, learn to train your wife in five easy steps. And I was like, oh my Lord, like, could you imagine being two or five and seeing that book on your parents' table? Like just the, what it teaches people about roles, which again, you know, like if you wake up to the truth, the truth is, is that you are not a role. And so when you wake up to that, you're likely going to be a little mad, maybe a lot of mad. Because you've been asleep in another role. And that could be true of the man's role too, to be dominant, to be disconnected from their heart. They should be mad too, um, because they've been denied the emotional capacity that they are required to survive. Yes. yes. And I think, you know, I also think that the the way that we operate in society and the way that the system and advertising and media and everything place upon humanity these, it's like, I always say, it's like they build the boxes and then scare the people to run into the boxes. So now you're labeling yourself. So you're like, okay, so I'll listen to some of my friends who, you know, have darker skin, who are melanated like me. And they'll say like, well, I'm black. And because I'm black, I think like this, do, 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 do. Or I have my friends who are like, yeah, but I'm white. And then this is how I was raised. And this is what I believe. And I'm like, okay. So you keep associating it to your color. And And then I hear friends who are like, yeah, but I'm gay. So being gay means this. And I'm like, well, no, it doesn't. That's just a box that you were sent to, to claim. And then what they did is they created enough fear to get you to go in that box and stake the claim as if they didn't have anything to do with it. So the system had nothing to do with the idea that you're actually accepting this as your truth. 
as your label and as your condition. And then you stake claim to it with righteousness and pride. So that anytime Mm -hmm. someone comes to you and says, Hey, let's create a different relationship. But in order to create a different relationship with you, you would have to have a relationship with the labels and the conditions and the circumstances that you have staken your claim in with pride and righteousness. And that I think is one of the biggest issues that I see in the world is that like when I was living in Israel, for instance, I was living in Israel and then my friends, United Nation asked me to come and spend time with them in, you know, in the Gaza Strip and, and be and spend time with Palestinian families. And what was interesting to me was when I was with my Israeli family and friends, they're always like, oh, the Palestinians want to kill us. The Palestinians want to kill us. And then when I went over to the Palestinian side, they're like, oh, the Israelis want to kill us. The Israelis want to kill us. And I'm like, OK, so you both are saying the same thing. Yeah. Where's the conversation that's happening? Oh, wait, there is no conversation that's happening. There is this subjective idea of the situation that you're operating from. You don't really understand what's really going on because you have another energy that is the government that's making you both believe this. So from your perspectives and in, in your understanding of the way you're looking at it, you think you're right. And that's, and that's the whole same thing. It's like the subjective point of view that they have versus the objective point of view. And then also when you think about that in all everyone's household, you have people in, in countries like Papua New Guinea who find it that when you, to become a man, you have to sleep with a man to become a man because you have to share your essence with another man before you choose your wife. And another part of the world, someone sees that as completely disgusting and vile and how dare you even think that I would do something like that? How could they do something like that? That's so immoral. That is so this. But again, all of these things are subjective to each person individually based on their culture, based on the way they observe creation, based on their upbringing, based on their uh, geographical location and all of these other factors. But when we start staking claim to these things and build our relationship with people on these things in shamanism, we say that's how chaos um, grows. Mm, I love that. Because you think of, uh, I was listening to Wade Davis, who's an anthropologist. I was listening to uh, him speak the other day on a podcast. And he was saying that every culture looks at other cultures and sees them as a failure to be them. Mm -hmm. That there's this arrogance that we went from being savages to being civilized. And he said that there's like this idea that there's a pyramid and, and to be civilized, you know, which was originally sort of born from British thought. He said, you actually couldn't be further from the earth. And, you know, in 7,000 different languages are all just different answers to the question, what does it mean to be human? And there's no, there's no right answer. They're all, they're all right. And I, I think that's what we sort of miss, at least in, I'm Canadian, but I'd say in the arrogance of more developed countries, and I'd say especially in North America, there's an arrogance that somehow technology is at the top of that, that we are the ultimate pinnacle of human development. But if you speak to someone like you who does shamanism or go to cultures that are based on spiritual connection to the earth, they would say that they that the path to the divine is maybe the greatest pinnacle, and but not hierarchical, like any way is the way. But I think we've taken this sort of long route that gets to this place where we're you know, and I'm sure a lot of people have a lot of views on AI and digital and all that kind of thing. And I would say that we're taking a long route away. We are, I think, hitting a dead end where 
most of us, especially this has been exaggerated by the amount of Zooming we've had to do and the amount of tech, is we are feeling depleted because we are we think that our phone brings connection and it, it certainly does trigger our brain to want to be on it, uh, to get likes, to have a great booty, to have all these things. But you realize none of it matters if you don't have a community or you don't have people around you. And gosh, we will abandon those things for fleeting moments, which again, you spoke to previously is like, we get marketed to stay in the box and to have value in that box. I was talking to a friend of mine named Raphael, who's gay the other day. And he was, yeah, we had a, a, a beautiful conversation where he said to me, it's almost like you, you, for in his experience, you step out of the closet and then you're ushered into another one. And you think because it's a closet, that's a good fit. You stay. And I was like, wow, that is so profound to think of. And I think you're right. We do that. We think we've found this way and it's the right way. And then when we think it's the right way, we're not open. And that's true relationally. That's true in everything. Yeah. You know, even like with myself, you know, with, you know, people get confused because then they'll say, oh, yeah, but you've dated like uh, women. Oh, but you you've dated men. Oh, but then what are you? What do you consider yourself? Are you gay? Are you straight? Are you bisexual? Are you this? Are you that? Are you this? <laughs> like, just give and, me an answer, an identity. Yeah, they want an identity and they want a way to put me in something so they can feel safe. Right. So they can have an understanding of what it means for them. Instead, what I simply do is go like, well, I don't connect with any of these things because I'm just me. I'm just right. me and I'm just operating from my intelligence and I'm operating from my feeling. And so like the moment I started dating my girlfriend, people are like, yeah, but you're a liar. You're that's not, you're not really in love with her because you like men too. I'm like, okay, I get now it's a, now it's a new understanding of, well, because you like her and you like men, there's no possible way you can like her because you still like men. It's like, yeah. they can't yeah. understand how my brain works and how my physiology works and how my energy works and how my spirit operates because they're trying to fit it into something that they need to be able to, you know, to control and to understand. And it's what's fascinating to me in and when we're talking about because in shamanism the the core of shamanism and even people have taken shamanism out of relationship which is really unfortunate because shamanism the whole core of shamanism is based on relationship it's based on relationship to food relationship to yourself relationship to your body relationship to the spirits your ancestors relationship to nature and animals relationship to your community so the understanding of true relationship comes from service it comes from the idea of wanting to connect with someone not just because you want to get something from them, but you want to connect with them because you want to add something into their life. You want to bring to the table for them, something you want to bring to them to, to enrich them, to, to flourish them, to, to create something. And so in tribal culture, the shaman is there to overlook the tribe and overlook nature and overlook the elements and the ancestors and see if everyone is staying in their autonomy, but having this beautiful relationship of understanding that each person has to be in their empowerment of that autonomy so that they are able to thrive as a tribe. If one person falls in that tribe, it becomes like a virus and everyone else will fall. And the productivity from the hunters to the gatherers, to the weavers, to the sowers, to the, you know, the ones who build the huts or the, the clay makers or whoever it is. And that try whatever place, if it's in Africa or if it's wherever, will suffer. 
And then the, if women are, women are not in harmony, they will suffer. If men are not in touch with certain levels of their femininity, they will suffer. So in, so in African wisdom, we always say that to place anything in constriction is to, to prepare yourself for death. Mm-hmm. And to put anything into and put everything into a space of acceptance and relationship is to give it life. And so literally that is the key element in how we were raised and how we're trained in shamanism. And so then you see the Western world shamanism into more about ayahuasca and iboga and, and like taking medicines. And that's what they've turned shamanism into. But they forget that you can't, even when you're dealing with medicine, the reason why it's going, it's getting out of hand is because people forgot the, the, the understanding of what we call the old passages. The old passages in shamanism is relationship. Mm-hmm. The, the relationship shamanism came from women. It started with women giving birth. And through that birth process, it was the life and death experience of the rites of passage. And through the process of the birth was the pleasure, which is the orgasm, which was also a form of, of death and rebirth. And in that space, the woman saw the balance and energy of how everything is created to support one another in a relationship. And that's what was passed down through generation to all the different, you know, Sami people, to the African tribes, to the Mongolian, to you name it. And what's funny and what, what I find fascinating is that a lot of my friends who are shamans in different cultures keep giving medicine to, to the Western world, waiting for them to get back to the heart. Because in shamanism, we don't operate from the mind because we know the mind is polarity. We operate from the heart, which we know is quantum. So we know that the heart is the place to return back to that balance of the masculine and feminine, back to that place of true service, back to that place of non-restriction. And so they give the medicine in hoping that that medicine will give them the ability to see all the choices they made that took them away from that that beautiful relationship. And then they will begin to cultivate the relationship. But because, and this is what we go back to when we were saying, is because we don't have the spiritual maturity um, and people are not stepping into that spiritual maturity because they're still acting out like we're in high school and the cliques and the associations and the gatherings, then when they get the medicine, instead of them saying, oh, this medicine is being given to me to return me to my heart and to look at these places where I stepped away from my heart, they see it again as another thing to dominate and then share with their friends. Oh, did you take ayahuasca? Oh yeah, I did ayahuasca. Did you do this? Oh yeah, I did Obigain. I did um, this and I did peyote and I did this. And the relationship is still not happening. And so I think it's really important. So my question to you is, what do you think? And I want to go really into this in a, in a very deep way. Let's what do, do you really think the problem is with humanity not wanting to have that level of relationship? If we were to really look at it from the perspective of is it religion that made them this way because they believe that there's a God that would destroy them so they destroy themselves? Is it because of the conditioning on how we built our cities? Like, what, what do you think it is, my love? Mm. First off, poof, the sermon you just gave. <laughs> I appreciate it and enjoy it. You know, I think when we spoke previously about relationships, I, I think the reason that relational fractures are an invitation back to your heart, like you were saying ayahuasca is in... I think when the heart is broken, there's this idea that a broken heart is closed, right? Like that, but I really believe a broken heart is open. Like to not love again is a broken heart. 
You know, that's a totally different conception of it if you can't explore those avenues. And I, I say that because it brings back to the question you have, which is a very profound question. You know, why are we afraid of that? And when I consider that, I think we're afraid of it because we left it so long ago. You know, to pay attention to what love what possibilities are for relationship within myself and another or within a family or a community. I have to then, I can't accept the way we treat the earth. I can't accept the way some politics are run. I can't accept the way we, we treat each other as, as both neighbors, but also neighbors as countries. And then there's a profound sense of responsibility and overwhelm. Like, okay, now I want to experience liberated love within my relationship. Oh, well, then my family also needs to be freed because they're operating on old paradigms and we're not talking about the truth in my family. So I have truth in my relationship. Now I need to broaden and get bigger and shine that light on my family and then a community. And then, you know, it keeps getting bigger and bigger. And I think collectively we're doing that. You know, we're having conversations like this, uh, which formally would have been reserved just for people of immense privilege because they had the time and the space to have that conversation. And I mean, it sure still is a privilege to have it. But I really think is that we're afraid of what we're going to see and we don't know. Like once you know that you've stepped away from who you truly are and maybe your pathway back is through a breakup or ayahuasca or whatever it is, you have to claim who you are. And then you have to grieve that you haven't really lived open-heartedly. You haven't lived authentically and, you know, from a form of uh, real self-expression. And when I think about that as a, you know, when we think about belonging, so many of us are taught to exile parts of ourselves in order to belong. But really, if you have to exile parts of yourselves to belong in a group, you don't belong to yourself. And so you're walking around not feeling connected. uh, And you think it's, how do I become how do I figure out what's wrong with me to fit in this group as opposed to what's right with me? Look at what we teach about emotion. If you have a negative emotion, as we call it, which I wouldn't call it that, emotions just are, they are information. If you have a negative one, we need to treat it because there's something wrong with you that you're sad or depressed or anxious. Well, if you're paying attention, why wouldn't you be sad? If you're paying attention and you're noticing because you're awake and you're noticing the pains of the world, I would say you're working properly if you're sad. If you're uncertain about the future right now and you're experiencing anxiety, welcome to your system is working correctly. (laughs) But we got to do something about it because it's one thing to know or to feel, but feelings are always invitations to action. So for anxious, something about the future were unexpressed in some way. Uh, We have to move towards that expression and towards the future we want to create. You know, so... I think it's a long answer to a question that I think is as simple as we're afraid of the, the capacity and the multitudes of who we are. And, and how do I hold the complexity of me and exist in a world that wants me simple, that wants me small? Because it won't be able to hold me and my voice. And so that's when we start to see that the world's got to rearrange around you. And it will. It will around us. Because collectively as a voice, you know, podcasts like this, books like yours, conversations, they reverberate and they say, fuck, no more. I don't want to deal with this shit anymore. I'm standing up, you know, and I'm from Canada and I'm just like watching this censorship that goes on. And I'm like, 
what does that mean that we can't even have open conversations anymore? You know, I think censorship can serve a purpose, sure, for hate speech, things like that, but not of credible people wanting to have conversations. We don't have dialogue anymore because it influences a narrative. I mean, if that's not triggering to you, are you awake? Like you might not agree with what's being said, but you should celebrate the opportunity to choose. And the moment you give away the sovereignty over your body, it's a slippery slope. Right. And it's not just slippery. It is a, it's almost a 90 degree angle. You know, and it's a, I'm sure a whole other podcast too, you know? Yeah, I'm sure. I wanted to ask you this question because this is something that I think about a lot. So I want to get your thoughts on it. So, you know, we come into this world as children and we're taught not to tell the truth about what we really feel and what we're really experiencing, what we really want to do versus what our parents want us to do versus what the rules that they have put into motion based on their upbringing, based on what they experience. And then they push that onto us and make us, and, and then we choose uh, electively to lie to ourselves and betray ourselves, not out of the idea of we want to betray ourselves, but we do it out of fear. So we're taught that truth causes pain. And if we look at all of the understandings of epigenetics and we look at the history of humanity, we go back into the ancient times when people would speak their truth. They were crucified. They were burned. They were put to death. They were poisoned like Socrates. They were, you know, for telling the truth about what they felt like Copernicus, you know, burned alive because Copernicus had a belief that they didn't want to accept and happened to be right. And, you know, and again and again, every time we go to tell the truth, we suffer. And then we watch leaders who speak the truth and then they get assassinated and they get killed. And so this, you know, level that's within our RNA DNA through the epigenetics of our history is then carried through each generation, you know, and I believe very, I don't know if you know the story of the monkey effect, right? So the monkey effect is you get five monkeys in a room and they, they dangle a banana, uh, like, you know, on, on, on the stairway. And then the monkeys climb up to get the banana. And every time they get close to the banana, downpour waterfalls to them and they freak out and they run away from the banana. And then they do it again and again and again. And they keep eliminating the monkeys and bring in new monkeys and then when they monkey, the new monkey tries to climb up the ladder to get the banana, the other monkeys, before they see the monkey do that, they start beating the monkey to get the monkey to stop to not get the banana so they don't all get hurt. Mm. And then they take out more monkeys and they do it again and again and again. And they keep doing that until finally it's a whole room of monkeys that have never experienced any of those things. But for some reason, they just won't go for the banana. And it's because the epigenetics and the way that they're, that, that's been passed down through generation has been programmed into their synthesis, into their consciousness, into their DNA that tells them something bad is going to happen if I do this. They feel the terror. They feel the fear. They don't know what it is. They don't have facts. They don't have any conclusive evidence or any empirical knowledge about what's really going to take place. They just are afraid. Mm -hmm. So you have people on earth who have these, these things happening within their DNA, within their RNA, that is creating this idea of 
if you tell the truth, if you live truthfully, you're going to get hurt. You're going to go through pain. You're going to be killed. So do you think that that plays, after explaining all that to you, do you think that plays a role in our readjustment as human beings on earth in our way we build our relationships because of the fact that we lie because we're scared to tell the truth? Yeah. I mean, the the baseline of what we agree to as humans, especially as parents when we're raising children till we don't, is we say we're all going to participate in this. We're all going to participate. And, and, you know, I think you, you nailed it. Like from a survival perspective, that's true. Like if you didn't adapt to, let's say your extremely religious family, which you didn't choose your religion, you were given your religion through birth. And you could argue that you chose it based on your lifetime and why you chose your life to come into this space at this time. I do think that there needs to be from a perspective of our evolution personally, that that reclamation of our voice, that epigenetic transformation that we would experience in this lifetime needs to have space for the grief for previous generations that we're really undoing the patterns of. If you look relationally, you only have to go up five generations, assuming no divorce, and you have over 30 people who have basically shaped how you communicate. Well, love was not actually always part of marriage. Uh, So relational skills were not meant to also be containers for love and expansion. Not always true, but mostly true. And, you know, we found love in affairs, things like that. So what we demand from a relationship today is much more than we used to demand. Uh, We used to get it from a village. And, And so I think there's part of it is being able to create the type of relational dynamics that can foster what you're saying. Does it have space for truth? And then recognizing that if you speak your truth and your family has taught you and and maybe your religion or your culture, which are often synonymous, if those have taught you that the truth isn't safe here, you might lose them. And what you find though, at least in my experience, is there is resistance to your voice at first, especially because you're reminding people of their liberty, of their liberation, and they're afraid of it. And so it makes sense that someone's like, you've changed. And you're like, that's the point. You know, and then they're like, I don't know about what this new part of you that speaks up and has boundaries. We live in a family where no one has boundaries. So we'd really like you to collapse again and play small because it would really make the family system do better. If you don't, you invite (laughs) the whole system to change. And I mean, what you spoke about from an epigenetic perspective is really interesting when you look at the epigenetics of like, let's say a woman who is pregnant with a daughter, right? So when a woman is pregnant with a daughter, by week nine, the cells that will become eggs of that, of that baby in utero, that's when the transition happens, somewhere around week nine. Mm-hmm. And, and so in one woman, you actually have three generations when they're pregnant. So the environment to which the pregnant woman is in, uh, let's say is in a country where there's a lot of turmoil, conflict, war, and then let's say they move from that place to a place where there is none while they're pregnant. Well, that baby's cortisol level like has been swimming in cortisol in the research shown that 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 baby actually produces less cortisol. Now, the idea is that, well, if they produce less, then wouldn't they be less stressed? Well, no, cortisol as a hormone is supposed to get us back to a baseline, but chronic high levels of cortisol 
are really bad for our bodies. And so they call it like secondary PTSD, that that child is less, I mean, you know, this research too, is yeah. less resilient. And so at some point, you know, like no matter our circumstances, which is not to say there's no compassion for the circumstances or even the recognition that what happened in our lives, it was not our fault, but we have to do something with it. And it's like these ultimate, you know, it's an old proverb that is like leap and the net will appear. And when you do something you've never witnessed, you've never seen in your lineage to actually like, let's say from a, a woman's perspective to actually like speak that voice, raise that roar, you know, let it out when it's never occurred. It is an act of rebellion. It is an absolute. And so it's not like, hey, just speak up, you know, because as you said, people got burned at the stake for that. Mm -hmm. Um, People have been shot throughout history for truth. But, you know, I think the ultimate question becomes like, what do you stand for? And are you willing to die for that? Are you willing to be loved for that? Are you willing to be hated for that? But do you stand for truth? And I find that no matter what, people are drawn to authenticity and truth and beacons of realness. And you might lose your blood family in that first moment, um, but you will find another family. I mean, I think the internet, one of the real positive things is, and and this was my experience when I first started studying relationships. And I remember the first conference I ever attended. I remember just being there being like, other people want to know what I want to know. Like I thought within my microcosm environment where I was so curious and maybe not going about it in the best way. Cause you know, when you first wake up, you're like, you wake up, you wake up, everybody wake up. And they're all like, fuck off. Like things are good. I have a job and life's good. And I realized like you actually said this earlier that, that we like project from our own frameworks. Mm -hmm. And we can do that even from our own wokeness, quote unquote, is like, everybody wants to wake up and they're all like, no, I actually like being asleep. It's pretty cool. I go on vacation and I got a job that I don't necessarily hate, but it's just that beacon of light that we can be that says there's more possible. And instead of trying to convince someone that more is possible, which is like trying to convince an addict to get sober, you just live and be and have boundaries and be whole and become everything. And you can't help but transform people that are ready. That was a long, my friend Terry Cole says, that was a long way around the barn. That was a real long way around the barn. But but here we are. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> no, I think it's true. I mean, I, even for myself as a melanated brother in this world, you know, being a person who, you know, was bringing shamanism in at a time where in the early nineties, where people were just like, what is this? There was no whole foods. There was none of those things. And then also, you know, bringing information to the wellness community. My voice was not heard. And I was, I was sharing this with a friend of mine, my friend, Light Watkins and my friend, um, oh, yeah, I know, Michael like- Bethwick. Oh yeah. yeah and, right and so we were talking about, it, cause I remember when Michael, you know, was doing his thing in the garage and light had just, you know, started his thing. And we were, it was, you know, very early, it was in the early nineties, you know, when we were just getting out there, we wasn't a lot of people of color in the wellness world, in the, in that world of the spiritual, unless it was like Baptist church or whatever, but we were actually bringing something different to the table. And it was really challenging for people to hear us because they were programmed that you don't listen to to black men. And so we had to speak 
you know, to ourselves to move through that space of not taking it personally and continue to, to move forward. And it was, you know, and even when I talk about it with them to this day, it was such a climb because so many doors were closed in our face because people just were programmed. You don't listen to a black man. Mm -hmm. And so we had to really start listening to ourselves. And it was the moment when we started listening to ourselves and ourselves and really talking with ourselves and really having that relationship with ourselves to the point where other people were not having it with us, but we were willing to have it with ourselves. We mm -hmm. stayed our path, you know, and I watched Michael create agape and, and oh, light. I remember you know, going you know, to watch him speak and I was just like, oh. Yeah. You know, I was actually just talking to him yesterday and I was just like, and like, even like with light, you know, with everything that he did and everything that I did. And I remember people saying, no, one's going to listen to you about shamanism. No one's going to want to hear about African spiritual wisdom. No one wants to know that information. And here we are today bringing that where it's much more accepted and people are open to it. And it was the understanding of that where there wasn't a relationship for us to have with someone else we were able to have that relationship with mm -hmm. ourselves and cultivate that relationship to such a place that we waited for humanity to come to the space of joining us in that relationship. And so I really believe that if we continue to keep the, that relationship with where it is, we can see ourselves within our own lives in that place of peace and harmony and not operating in chaos and reaction, but really having that spiritual maturity and having that ability that those people will naturally come to have that relationship with you by you having such a beautiful modeling effect of the relationship you're having with yourself. What are your thoughts on that? Amen. I mean, think of that process of going through the initiation within yourself, you know, to, to stick through what are you committed to against all odds, against every reason for you to stop and and not in a, in a space that I could even understand what that's like, you know, because the world is built to move my voice forward, you know, right. and, and, and to think of like, as we create initiated spaces within our own bodies, we create them within communities and then we create them, we invite other people, you know, I think what's so fascinating about human development is that we are taught a framework of what is okay and what is not. And then we exile the parts of ourselves that we're taught are not okay. And so when we start to bring those back or like wake up to them and give birth to them, we can't operate in friendships and groups that don't have space for that. Mm -hmm. And I think what can be created, which is so beautiful from even the trio of powerful men that you're talking about, you three, is people will just oscillate to this place of unconditional love. Like why, I remember going to Michael Beckwith's Agape and being like, this is a place of love. Like it doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter who I am. It doesn't matter where I come from. He's learned to create that space within himself, no matter what you think. So now he's done such a powerful job of magnifying that through his own existence. But I, I was in the journey of like, who am I? What do I want to talk about? I'm afraid I'm an imposter in a room. And I remember walking into Agape and just feeling like none of that was actually real. And then I went back to my life and still felt that way. But when you keep being around people who have that, you start to realize that there's this capacity that's greater than. And 
I mean, that's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And it, it, uh, it is always the invitation to others to do the same of like, you know, I always think back to like, what are you committed to? What matters to you? What kind of life do you want to live? You know, I think it's a, to recognize like keeping a relationship together, quote unquote, doesn't even matter compared to having a relationship of depth. We celebrate anniversaries, but we don't celebrate depth of a relationship. You could be to 70, together 75 years and hate each other. And we'd say, well done, high five. At least you take commitment seriously, as opposed to like being together for two years and finding depth and expansion and birthplace for both of you. You know, we talked earlier about what is the challenge with relationships? They're not spaces for individual sovereignty. Most relationships are containers that say you made a vow. And that vow says you are here till death do us part. And I always think like, what death? Like a mortal death or the death of the self that said yes? And, and can the relationship be a container that celebrates thousands of versions of each other? And that you don't enter this relationship and lose self or avoid relationship to save self, you learn how to be in relationship and be a self. And that's a skill we all have to learn because what we've all witnessed for very good reasons is self-abandonment. And small betrayals, like little betrayals, like, ah, that red flag's not that big of a deal or me hiding my voice, I'll just hide it for a bit. Small betrayals become giant betrayals. You know, that might just be 1% off in this moment. But in two years, that's a thousand percent off, you know, and we don't realize these like small little paths, which doesn't mean that there's not a moment where you wake up on the wrong choice and you go, oh shit, I made the wrong choice. But what are you going to do with it? Are you, are you willing to eat, you know, that uh, shame sandwich, the, hum- the humble pie and get over and back on track and gosh, to wake up to what your voice is and who you truly are and then choose it is... I mean, it took me a while. I'm not going to say like, yeah, I woke up, I recognized something. And then I just, boom, you got to do all the undoing, you know, all the unlearning. And then you realize like, oh my gosh, I've been in a face of human conditioning and yet I choose me. Whoa. That's the, the most powerful thing. Absolutely. I did. I had a girlfriend once and we did a breakup party where we, we <laughs> knew we were going to break up. So we threw a big party for our breakup and we told friends if they want to bring gifts, they can bring things that inspire us to live our truth and so forth. And mm, it was quite an experience. We had, we party and people had food. We had a DJ and we had our last dance. So together. opposite of what people are conditioned to. Yeah. And it was great. And we, we had our little dance, our last dance and we laughed and we talked and, you know, we opened our gifts with our friends and everything and we broke up and that was that, you know, and we blessed each other's path. And I think that, you know, it's important to, a lot of times people don't have those acknowledgements of those endings are not real endings, but they're really beginnings of the self you know, uh, breakup parties, you know, someone lost their job. I was like, okay, let's have a lost your job party, you know, because now you're able to live in your truth. And now like, what does that look like for you? And how does that, you know, connect with you? And so some of the gifts that we, you know, gave was like a day at the spa for them to be able to, or, you know, to go to a, a silent retreat or to, you know, do certain things that can help them cultivate what that looks like for them. So I love exactly what you're saying. And hundred percent. I think you're amazing. So I noticed you have Thanks, like a, that where, where are you? In, you're in Canada? 
No, I'm actually in Sedona. This is uh, I'm in a rental. That's one of the oh, okay. I was wondering. <laughs> I saw like all cowboy kind of stuff. Yeah, right. Like I'm gonna go ride my horse after we get off this. Nice. Uh, I love horses. I ride horses. <laughs> I I am not a skilled horseback rider, so I won't say that. <laughs> well, how can people find you, and how can people connect with you, beautiful soul? Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Um, it's been such a beautiful conversation and and I always just consider it such an honor to walk through time with someone because it's the one thing we can't get back, at least in this experience. You can find me on Create the Love pretty much everywhere, except for, I think I have a TikTok, but you won't see me TikToking. And, but on Instagram, you'll find most of the stuff, uh, createthelove.com courses on there on like walking through a breakup, turning it into a transformation. Uh, I have one on like rediscovering. It's called Rediscover Your Wholeness. That's all about discovering who you are. One on healing from codependency and and one that's kind of like a quick espresso shot of like how to really build boundaries. And I uh, also have a dating 101 four-week journey that I'm going to be walking with people through, which is like how to turn dating into fun and healing and like an actual experience where you grow from and it's expansive. Uh, So yeah, you can find me on all those places. And I I also have a podcast, the Mark Rose Podcast, which I got to get you on. So Perfect. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. I can't wait to be in your presence again and give you a big, big, big hug. Mm. Just hang out with you and shoot the shit. Same. Love you, brother. Thank you. Love you too. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. This is Shaman Durek, and I am super excited that we had the amazing Mark Groves with us. What a brilliant, powerful, authentic human being. You know, it gives me a great pleasure to have people like himself on Ancient Wisdom Today because, you know, I love the no bullshit talk. It just, it really satisfies my soul on so many levels because there's nothing greater than having someone who's there who I'm able to share information with in a real and deep way when we can talk about all the things that are happening that are causing imbalance within our connected relationships and how we're connecting on all levels of our being. You know, being able to understand the beginning stages of his life, which was, you know, how he came into these things, which was coming from cells. I want to let you know that I love cells. When I was young, I used to work at this place called The Body Shop. Uh, I actually worked at The Body Shop. You know, what I loved about it was, you know, putting the bottles and, you know, wiping the shelves and so forth. And But the, the thing is, not so much of just wiping the shelves and stacking up the bottles and making sure they're all, you know, set up a certain way from the satsuma and everything, was more about the people coming in, right? Because every time a person came in, it gave me an opportunity to connect and to learn how to connect with that person so that I can share with them products that I think would be best for them. And the interesting thing about it was, stuff that I did was really about me being able to create a relationship to what people's desires were when coming into the store. And I love that Mark talked about how he was looking at it from the more manipulative of, I want to be able to get these sales and make my sales quota, which is, you know, everyone has their path and everyone has their experience, right? But it was when he realized that the idea of manipulating someone to get them to to persuade them into something versus him being able to utilize that ability to see 
those, how to say, subtle nuances of how you move people into that direction to recognizing, oh, I can use this to learn about human connection and I can learn about how human beings operate and become a connection specialist. I think it's pretty badass if you want my honest opinion about it, because, you know, the thing is, is that if you're operating from a place where you are holding on to, you know, concepts and things that you've done where you feel like, okay, this thing that I was doing wasn't the greatest thing to do. But sometimes you do those things to gain perspectives. And, you know, like for myself, like being a salesperson at the body shop and really wanting to connect with people to see what it is that they would really like and see if I can support them in that. And I did re I did win regional sales, by the way, on this one thing that we had to do where I had to sell a certain amount of books um, and beat all the other regions that were doing the same product sales and I won and I got a party at the pizza kitchen and a bonus on my check, which was really cool. But for me, what I loved about sales was getting to know people. So I'm really glad that he talked about that because it gave me a perspective of understanding humanity and understanding people and the way they speak, the way they talk, the way they move their bodies and the way they interact with each other. And I love the conversation that we have in regards to, you know, being able to move beyond the the shame and blame of relationships because a lot of times you know and i love what he said where he was saying that if you don't show up in a relationship as yourself and you show up wanting to be someone else or pretending to be someone else then when you're in that relationship that person isn't loving you for you they're loving you for what you showed them to fall in love with and then you don't feel loved because you don't feel seen because you can't feel seen because you didn't show the real you and so therefore you end up resenting the person and end up having problems with the person because you don't think they love you but you didn't really show you you showed them something different and that's true because a lot of times when people go in relationships they go in wanting to create this image that they think people would accept and like about them instead of them being able to recognize that that image that they are creating is falsified it's not who they are and that the core of who they are can't be loved because they're not showing up to see that they're capable of being loved as they are and that's important because as we continue to grow on earth and we begin to move into more understanding of what it means to have collective community and resource through community you can't be a good resourcer in community where you're offering something and taking something in order for us to thrive if you're not showing up authentically in those relationships or you're getting upset at people because they're not giving you what you feel that you deserve or that you desire in those relationships when you are not showing up for yourself. And so the key to being able to get into that space is recognizing you know exactly what he has been talking about what Mark was talking about, which is, you know, really understanding those relationships and coming into that space of how do you show up in a relationship and what are the things that are creating difficulty in that relationship? And if those things that are creating difficulty in that relationship that are hindering that relationship is the fact that you're not coming in with truth. If you're not showing up with truth in that relationship, then of course, it's not going to be a harmonious relationship because you're going to keep lying and lying and lying to yourself, which creates more and more pain. As he said, and this doesn't just go for romantic relationship, this goes for family, friends, coworkers, partners of any kind, right? Any type of relationship you have, you know, and 
in, in shamanism, we look at relationships across the board. We talk about your relationships to your ancestors, relationships to the nature, relationships to your food, all of these different things. I mean, just think about it. If you're not showing up authentically in any of those areas, there's going to be imbalance. And imbalance leads to all types of complications, health complications, mental health complications, complications in your ability to thrive and to, to create prosperity and to have spiritual well-being. And really what I was talking about was the spiritual immunity, right? Not to act in adolescent ways like we were in junior high and high school when situations show up on the planet and instead of reacting and freaking out we actually begin to kind of step in and corral the community to think in a way with emotional intelligence and observance so that we can make decisions that are actually impactful decisions that are creating real change versus creating chaos and if we continue to operate in this very destructive way because we don't choose to cultivate these relationships with ourselves and with others in beautiful ways and really listen to what Mark is saying when he's communicating these points because, you know, it's like he's creating this company, Create the Love, right? And that's what it's about. And if, if you've ever heard me speak in any other shares, I'm always talking about returning to love, representing love for the sake of love because of love and that's it right it's a key element is love right and what is that love look like and how does that show up well love isn't based in you dominating another person and it's not based on you putting expectations on them either and it's not based on you wanting them to be something that they're not if you can't accept them for the way they are then why are you with that person to cause misery to yourself and cause misery to them Again, one of the biggest reasons why people suffer in relationships, and that can be partnerships, that can be family, it can be anything, is by you constantly playing small and playing down and not honoring your truth because you're afraid that you're not going to be loved or you're going to be ostracized or you're not going to be accepted and you're going to be dismissed. And, you know, this understanding of this unseen suffering that comes in to keep you in your place is exactly what the system uses, exactly what the matrix uses to keep people in this constant idea that it's okay for us to keep having war, to keep having conflict, and to see that as normal. As Mark said, we normalize these conditions, and so we become numb to them when, in fact, we will convince ourselves that being in an abusive relationship or a partnership that we know is not in harm that we're not creating something great for our company because we're in odds with one another, but because we don't want to look at the normalization that we've created around discomfort, around abuse, and around any of these energies that are aggressive energies, we just act as if they're normal. And because we act like they're normal, we stay in them. We don't see the red flags. We don't see the pitfalls. We don't see, you know, the road bumps. We don't see, you know, the, the train coming our way when we've been given so many opportunities and so many signs and, and able to do so. And so as we begin to mature ourselves spiritually, which I talk about spiritual maturity all the time, which is really important, right? Spiritual maturity and spiritual evolution is the understanding that we as human beings have a choice in every situation to choose to stay in a place of truth, even though we were told that if we stay in a place of truth, we're gonna go through pain because truth is pain on our planet because it's been given to us over over and over again repetitiously throughout the ages of our ancestors 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 and so therefore we have you know constant um, memories of that from our dna from our rna 
from our history books, from the things we see on television of the great leaders who stood before us, who were assassinated because of what they believed, because they were speaking the truth and no one wanted to hear the truth, accept the truth and acknowledge the truth. So silence them, you know, and assassinate them. And so we have these, these fears. But then the question is, and exactly what Mark said, which is, you know, what are we willing to risk? What are we willing to stand up for? What is, are we willing to die for our, for our belief to, to seek freedom for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters and for the planet? Are, are we willing to uphold this grand gesture of love for humanity that allows us to stand strong no matter what the circumstance may be, no matter what opposition or adversity may show up? Are we willing to dig in hold that space with love and present our truth into the world regardless of how many haters or how many people or how many haters and debaters or people come at us because they don't like to hear the truth because they've been running from the truth or they've been hiding from the truth and how do we how do we bring that through in a, in a culture that tells us to censor ourselves and to limit ourselves from having intellectual conversations for the purpose of discovery and understanding and, and sharing wisdom so that we're not divided, right? Because division happens first within. When you divide yourself from within because you don't feel safe in order to be and sit in that place of truth, then you will then begin to accept division on the outside, everything from the in and to the out. So the consciousness of the awareness of that which is in, which is out, which is the understanding of what he was talking about, that Rumi was talking about, was that, you know, the the prison, you know, you're in the prison, but the door is there and the door is open. So why aren't you getting out, right? It's the understanding that you're creating that cage. You're creating those bars. You're creating that that prison and you've become your own warden because of the way you're choosing to think. And because you're, choose, you're choosing the way you choose to react towards the situations and through the circumstances that are showing up and saying to you, hey, you know what? You don't have to react this way. You don't have to move into this space. You have the ability to choose otherwise. And the only reason why you're choosing the latter is because of what was chosen by your family and your friends and your, your associates and your community. And there's a point where he was saying that you've got to become the rebel because it's the rebel who goes against those energies to create something different because you're not only creating it for yourself, you're creating it for everyone. You know, I always say that every time I go in and do this self-love on myself, do the love, the, the inner love on myself, where people call doing the work on themselves, I call it doing the love on myself, right? Coming into shadow love with myself, going into that space of love with myself, I'm actually doing it for the whole world. Right, Because as I transmutate, transfigurate, and transform any energies that are not in sync and bring them into a qualified balance of love, harmony, and joy, freedom, and elation, and bliss, and ecstasy, I am then allowing that energy to shift on the planet so other people's path and other people's experience of those energies become even lessened and even to the point of not existing anymore. And they can move through those things with more ease and grace. So when we step into that awareness of taking the relationship to another level, the relationship can only be taken to a higher level when we're willing to acknowledge and celebrate the relationship with ourselves. As Mark and I were speaking about in regards to 
You know, when people break up, their representation of breaking up is always what you see in the movies and what you hear in films, you know, what people do and, and what you see in, in television shows and in, in the media and in, in songs and so forth, that people create breakups to be these horrible things that you go through instead of it being this beautiful space of creating liberation for yourself, coming back to yourself, acknowledging yourself and really being able to choose a, a different path for yourself. And instead of us beating up on ourselves and, and hammering ourselves and, and, and really just being really hard on ourselves which causes more pain and suffering and, and the longevity of that pain and suffering and it instills the more we come with grace and love and understanding and wisdom and compassion we're able to understand that that breakup is the best thing for both parts it creates liberation not as one but as two it creates an understanding that each of you are free now you know, to live your life truthfully and to get back into that place of truth where you haven't been in that place of truth with yourself. Because relationships don't just go bad because the other person is making it go bad. It's an equal partnership. And that goes for all things, from your family to everyone around you, right? Your family may believe something and they may tell you to continue to lie because they choose to lie. But you, on some level, have to make a decision that you are going to be the person who breaks the ancestors ancestral curse. The ancestral curse is the lie that keeps being told to each individual to follow and step into because that's how everyone did it. That's how mom did it. That's how my grandfather and grandmother did it. And that's how they did it. And so that's how you have to do it too. And, the, and that, I honestly have to say, is absolutely so completely ass backwards that it doesn't support you on any level of your evolution because you're not here to continue the pattern. You're here to complete the pattern and create something new. So getting into that mind, you know, aspect of yourself requires you to have a very strong disposition, a very grounded awareness, a very grounded belief of yourself and love for yourself. And also, it also requires you to be so in your space of love and knowing yourself that it doesn't matter what words or actions or behavior someone takes towards you because of you honoring truth, you are basically saying, because I love you, I'm choosing to be in the space of truth so that you as my family can now step into your truth and we can heal this ancestral curse. Because the ancestral suffering comes in because everyone keeps following this lie of I can't be truthful about the elephant in the room. I can't talk about the elephant in the room. Don't talk about those things. No, honey, we don't talk about things. No, we don't, we don't go into those things. We don't talk. We don't share. We're not going to go into the places that are uncomfortable. We're just going to sweep them under the rug. And all of those things create this immense damage for the generations that come until someone makes a decision to rebel against it, you know, and really create that level of awareness and love and spiritual immunity to not be affected by the words, by the actions of their family members while they're choosing to step into that place of changing the occurrence that has been led through them through their experience of their maternal and paternal experience with their family members. So as we get an understanding of what is happening, we get to change those circumstances as we begin to build a greater relationship with ourselves. 
So I'm really, really happy that we had such an amazing and powerful conversation with Mark Groves on Ancient Wisdom today. The share was lit. I'm so happy that we got to speak about so many aspects of relationships and how we can better our relationships and create something that is so absolutely wonderful for humanity to step into in our coming years and in our thriving of our adaptation and our future on planet Earth. I love you all so much. And thank you for being here and listening to the share that we have today on Ancient Wisdom today. Until next time, remember how powerful you are. Love ya. I've created the Healing Temple because people all over the world want and need healing, but don't have the access to those healers or can't afford them. One of the biggest high-ticket items in the world today is remote healing, but some sessions cost hundreds to even thousands of dollars. And for only $10, the Healing Temple is a collective space for people to come together every Friday for 30 minutes. Participants are opening a wellspring of abilities, alleviating stress and brain fog, where the mind becomes more optimized and performance-based, and where you learn to utilize energy to up-level your consciousness. The Healing Temple also helps to break down walls where you begin operating in awareness of wellness, feeling ambitious and inspired like things are really changing in your life. Inside the Healing Temple, you're also stepping into a world where you might experience phenomenons that you thought wasn't possible. Something as small as a chill or the hair standing on the back of your neck becomes like an opening door. Some members have even said they've experienced increased psychic abilities and that these sensations have intensified with following sessions. I've trained my powers to impact change and I've learned how to get results. Who doesn't want to feel good? The Healing Temple is not only beneficial to you, but also to those around you. Because when you're feeling good, you shine that positive energy onto others. Your partner, your children, co-workers, even your dog or your cat. Everyone around you begins to feel better because you are feeling better. It's a rippling effect that's much needed on this planet. We need the Healing Temple more than ever right now because of all that's happening in the world, the social political structures, calamities, chaos, and feelings of hopelessness and despair. The social climate is on high and this pressure cooker is taking a negative toll on how many of us feel. The Healing Temple offers comfort on a global level because when more people are feeling good, the more kindness, generosity, and realness is generated. For only $10, I invite you to become part of the community that seeks to do good, to feel good, and to make this world a better place. Go to shamandurek.com and click the Healing Temple to join our wellspring of healing, restoration, and elevated consciousness. See you in the temple. Thank you so much for tuning in to Ancient Wisdom Today podcast. Tribe, I love you all so much. And if you want to stay connected, be sure to check me out on IG at Shaman Durek. And if you have any questions whatsoever, please visit shamandurek.com or contact info at shamandurek.com to learn more. And remember, tribe, no matter what, stay lit.